0: Uh, hello, hello and welcome to another show. I'm uh, honoured to have a good friend and old work colleague actually with me today, um, great athlete and long distance runner, Sean Fontana. So Sean, tell everyone a little bit about yourself.
1: All right, Kieran, how are you doing? Great to be on the podcast, great to be a part of this. Um, yeah, all good. You know, training has changed since we're, we're in a different situation and scenario than we were six weeks ago. So, you know, just sticking to the government guidelines by just going out and training once a day out in my long runs and you know trying to keep keep safe keep distance from people even though it's hard because I feel that COVID-19 has done great amounts of good for people's health than ever before you know Um, the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow in 2014 lots of money pumped into that to you know bring health and fitness onto the the scene. London 2012 again millions of pounds pumped into sport and fitness and health but it seems like covid-19 has done done wonders for and it's and it's uh it's been great for people to get outside get some sun you know exercise with our family you know keeping to the guidelines and you know making sure that it's of 2 meters apart from everybody so you know it is great to see from a fitness standpoint obviously a little bit from a you know trying to be safe standpoint you're sometimes thinking you know people are maybe just pushing the envelope a little bit too much with uh, getting out there, everybody's out now getting a getting a bit of exercise, but it is good to see. Um, in terms of my training, uh, you know, the the competitions have came to a halt, which is is understandable. Um, I'm not one of those people that I don't I don't necessarily train for competition in terms of you know, I don't need a competition to get me out of bed in the morning and go and train hard and go and absolutely like rinse, rinse my body. I've, I came from, you know, basically a place where when I was overweight, we can, we can delve into that later in the podcast. But I've never, I've, at the start, I was actually scared to compete when I was a kid. Um, being overweight, playing football, didn't want the ball. I didn't want to be, you know, sort of the star of the show. Um, so it came from a place for me to do, start getting into sport and start training was to actually just lose weight, and then it was the process that actually got me giddy and got me excited about, you know, getting up in the morning and see how far I can push my body, see how much I can hurt, you know, me against me against me. I'll put the heart rate monitor on, I'll see how long I can last in a certain heart rate. Sometimes I'll just play around with myself because. You know, at the end of the day, it is you against you when you're in sport, when you're in competition. And you don't want your competitors to take you out of that zone. Um, so, you know, in terms of just the competitions, of it came to a halt, it's not sort of derailed my motivation whatsoever. I'm using this as a time, actually. Uh, you know, one-to-one personal training, like you'll, you'll know yourself, Kieran is, you know, stopped. And that's, you know, it's hit, hit is quite hard in terms of salary. But what it's gave us back is maybe a little bit of perspective and clarity in terms of not running the rat race of always chasing that next, you know, that next paycheck, that next dollar. And it's helped me reset my mind on what really matters to me. And I've I've actually embraced being a little bit quieter with work. I might not be as financially well off as what I once was, but again, the the stress the tight chest the constant maybe you know very quick to fire um, back at somebody if uh, you know they piss me off or whatever it's it's all calmed down you know i feel like i've i'm in a i'm in a nice place where i've got that good work life balance now where i've took my my stuff online and you've took your stuff online as well and get a lot more time to spend with the family, uh, talk to the family, talk to friends through WhatsApp and through Zoom. And yeah, just em- embrace this time because, you know, once the lockdown's over, we are probably, we're gonna forget about all this in terms of the important things. We are gonna maybe get a bit lost again in the, the rat race and chasing that money again, but I just wanna enjoy this time with friends and family and get back to reset my mind on what is important and you know just enjoy enjoying the training just now so it has been it's been a shock but at the same time i've i don't want to you know i don't want to say this has been a good thing because it's not like in terms this is a this is horrible what's happening to humanity but in terms of me working 60 hours a week training for a marathon doing university online having a wife Trying to, you know, fit time and just to eat, sleep and have downtime was really getting to my mental health. So this sort of lockdown has helped, you know, recharge my mind and actually get back to loving everything that I do in that sort
0: of uh, perspective. Yeah, very much so. There's two huge things I really want to touch on there. Firstly, we're going to, well, actually we'll go into more the mindset side of things because your mindset, like I said, it's, um, it's amazing. It's, it's It used to motivate me, just, like, little conversations with you. But, set, like, perspective, obviously, what you're talking about there is sit setting back, like, I think, with regards to everything going on, you can look at this in two ways. As you say, you can sit there getting get really anxious about the kind of negative aspects of COVID-19 and the health implications and, like, looking at especially the news how negative everything seems and it almost seems like the world's going to end but then you can also look at the positive side everyone's out running spending time with their family um people are in the house a lot more and i think when in situations like this perspective is fundamental to so just keeping a positive mindset mm-hmm. but then going over that so do you know who you you remind me of and i, I used to think i've now i've read more into him have you, have you heard about David Goggins? <laughs> yeah. You've got, that, you've got that mindset. And now, it's quite interesting. So, I've never really spoken to you about obviously your childhood where you said that you were overweight. You're saying about then how you didn't want the ball, but knowing you now, you're like so competitive. So, what changed? Like, what? where did that come Where did that change come from where you're like, you never wanted the ball to so now you're like, give me the ball, I'm going to take it
1: everyone yeah so back so back you know as far as far back as i can i can remember i i just i just loved junk food um i actually when i went through the process of wanting to change my diet uh things like water water itself made me want to gag because i was so used to drinking coca cola iron brew you know, fan all these high sugary fizzy foods, uh, drinks, and so even the, the the small change of trying to get to drink water made me want to gag. Um, so that, that was as far back as I can go. Always eating, you know, Pizza Hut buffets. You know, me and my mum on a Friday and a Saturday would have a a Chinese curry or an Indian curry, and if we didn't eat it all on the Friday, we'd eat it uh, uh, on the Saturday. Um, you know, reheat it and stuff. So. The, <sighs> I I just I think I use food as a way of comfort and because at that time I wasn't actually good at sport as well, so I used maybe used it in a way of, well, I'm not good at sport, so I don't really like who I am, so I'm just gonna eat because that makes me feel good, because I like I like the taste of the food and it, it made me feel good at the time. But what was happening was a, a vicious circle of, you know, the, un, the, the worse I was at sport and the more I ate, made me more worse at sport because I was getting heavier and didn't want to play it, I was getting more lethargic. It just, it was that vicious circle and it pushed me back into eating the foods that I craved and my body craved. And at that time I was weak-minded, I was soft, um, I was easily intimidated. I had no self-motivation, self-discipline, low self-esteem. You know, like I said, I, whenever I did play football on the ash pitches back in the day as a kid, I, whenever the ball came to my feet, you know, I would just pass it right away. I just want to get rid of it. Um, I, I was not the best footballer in my primary school. I was always the last picked and things like that. And I think I used, I think I used food and the love from my mum in terms of that cycle of, you know, where I was quite, whatever I wanted, my mum gave me. Um, my, my dad was more, more tougher on me, but it'd basically be if I wanted it, I would get it. And then when I go into sport, what you want and what you get are two completely different things. You know, it just, it just doesn't match up that way. And I didn't like that at the time and it was actually this is this is going to sound so there's there's a few there's a, there was a few changes in my my life that made me want to to lose weight one was i was getting bullied all the way up until i was about about 13 years old so about the, in in Scotland we have primary school then we have secondary school it's so a little bit different from england where they have uh forms i think six form seventh form and things so i was about 13 years old I was getting sick of this, you know, every day from when I was about eight, nine, ten years old. I'm getting slapped in the face, getting called fatty six bellies, getting called the Michelin man, you know, you fat bastard, this, that and the next thing. And there was just a day where I said, you know, I said, I walked into school. I was like, you know what? It was like the popular guy. It was the guy who was always bullying me. I said, you know what? I'm going to fucking get this guy today. Like, I summed up the courage where I was like, I'm I'm sick of this. Like, I am really sick of this. I still thought at the time, I still wasn't doing anything with my diet, but I just thought, like, I'm going to do something today. Like, I'm I'm not going to let these guys win. Like, no way, no more. So, you know, the guy picked on me. uh, I pushed him, grabbed his neck, whatever, and... That was, it was, that was a break time and then at lunch he came back in with a padlock and tried to sm- smack me over the head with it and um, he burst my eye open but I still grabbed his you know tripped him up got myself on top of him and I, and I just said not this time mate like and people had to grab me off because I was I was actually you know at that point was in so much rage that obviously I was I had my hands around his neck and you know I was I just didn't, didn't know kind of what I was doing at that point like I was seeing red and after that I stopped getting bullied so I stopped getting bullied and I'm going well that was pretty you know I acted I I done something about something that I didn't like so I was like right okay but I didn't make the connection with food to start with so what I done was it was my mum she was training for uh cancer 10k in cancer research um, so she's, you know, getting the donations and things like that she's going to do a ten k. So she, she, you know she, she's, you know, reg, regular woman, you know, just doesn't do doesn't do sport as a, you know, a way of life. Just went out once or twice a week jogging, just trying to get fit for the ten k that she was going to do. And I just thought, you know what, I'll get running with her. So when I run with my mom, I think we've done the four miles and I couldn't keep up with her so you know me being about 13 14 years old couldn't keep up with my mum who's you know like 40 years old who smokes and you know has a a drink at the weekends so I'm like geez I need to get my my act together like this is this is horrific this is maybe why I'm not good at football so what I done was then something weird I just started googling how to get faster you know how to run faster there's these things about you know you know train more run from pole to pole all that sort of stuff so what i done was, you know, my mum finishes work at six, I get home from school at half three. On the days where we didn't train with each other, I would sneakily put my shoes on, go out the door at half three after school and go on an extra run. And then by the time, you know, two or three weeks passed, I started to keep up with my mum. She's going, how are you getting good so fast? And I'm just, you know, shrugging my shoulders going, don't know. And I just, this was me slowly starting to, again, I guess train, like get that personal training brain, around 13, 14 years old. And then, you know, eventually, you know, I'm I'm starting to, you know, beat my mum. And then I move into a a club called Maryhill Harriers that was from my my local club. And from there, I just, I fell in love with, so I was starting to get good at football as well, but I also started to fall in love with running. And the reason was, and you you might like this as well, the reason I didn't like team sport personally is because when you play the best game of your life you can still lose
2: so you still get pissed off and you
1: can play the worst game of your life and win
2: yeah
1: and still be pissed off so I'm going sometimes i would never be happy after a football match sometimes but when i ran or when you box and you win and you box well or you a uh, uh, race well it's you're it's it's there for everybody to see it's there like you either won or you didn't that's it and usually having you know the the motivation the desire the will to win you know putting it all on the line and coming through that and you know beating your opponents that feel that feeling is like scoring a goal you know the winning goal is like scoring that but that doesn't happen more often than what I was doing when I was out running and beating my competitors like going across the finish line first you knocking down your opponent you getting your hand raised at the end of the end of you know your 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 match, your your boxing match it it is it's a euphoria that only the people in that sport can relate to that's why we do it and um so from there i then started looking at you know i was starting to lose weight you know, I went through a bit of a bad phase, uh, starting to, lo- to lose weight. I actually, so because of the, you know, the, the bullying, I, I, I starved myself for a wee while when I was about 14. I, I'd i wake up in the morning and I'd only have a bowl of crunching up cornflakes. And then for dinner, I'd, I'd starve myself all the way. Now I know it's intermittent fasting from all the, the fitness gurus. Uh, then I'd have an apple at night, but in between, nothing and you know I fall asleep during class I look yellow looks like I had like jaundice but I wanted to lose weight and stop get you know stop getting laughed at and stop getting bullied so bad that you know the the pain of being bullied outweighed the pain of me being hungry so I decided I'm going to take the pain of being hungry over the pain of being bullied and eventually I start to lose weight. You know, I'm starting to get good at football. I'm starting to be, you know, one of the first picked. I'm starting to get good at running. I'm starting to become popular in school. So that's now that's, that's now a positive reinforcement for me starving myself. Um, but again, it wasn't sustainable. So, you know, I started to go back to, I looked at the food pyramid, you know, making sure you're having a big bowl of cereal in the morning. Make sure it's, you know, full of, you know, carbohydrates. You're having a glass of orange juice. Then, you know, you're, for uh, lunch, you're having, you know, two two sandwiches where your your cooked meat in it and then you know your crisp and your juice and a bit of fruit and then at night you have having a big massive bowl of pasta to fuel yourself up for the you know the next day and slowly week by week I start to put the weight back on and I think it was I can still remember this at PE. One of my mates grabbed the bottom of my belly and was like oh Fontana you're putting it back on again fat boy and again boom like, I, it, something, something happened where I remember my mum having a conversation with a friend, talking about how one of our friends lost weight really fast and she said something called bulimia. And at the time, at 14, I didn't know what that was. I was like, what's bulimia? And, you know, Yvonne tells me oh, it's where somebody, you know, eats something, makes himself feel full, and then goes and makes himself sick. And I'm one of these people, even if I've got food poisoning, if I've got the flu, if I I can't be sick. Like I actually can't physically be sick unless I'm really bad, like I'm really bad. Um, so that was where, and that ha- that conversation happened about two or three, four months before, prior to this event. And then all of a sudden I start, you know, I was like, oh God, I, wanna, I, need, to keep, I need to keep slim. And, uh, you know, that night, you know, I'm having a bowl of pasta. And then what I do is I wait till my mum and dad went to bed, and then I'd I'd make myself sick. But you know we stayed in a a, a new build, so they were the 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 walls were quite they're quite thin. They're like those plasterboards. boards. So I think it was a couple of nights in my my parents clocked on that I was being sick every night, and they knew that I, unless I'm really ill, that I'm never going to be sick. So they they in a roundabout way didn't didn't want to like completely tell me you know, stop making yourself sick. It was basically I think it was there was a there was an actor or an actress in this magazine and my mum was like she showed me her teeth and they were like green and they had little spaces in between her teeth because she was being bulimic and she was making herself sick and she got caught on camera and uh that actually petrified me. So I was like, oh I was like, oh shit. Like I don't want that to happen to my teeth. And she's talked to me about like how it burns your esophagus, how it burns the inside of your tummy, your stomach lining, and things. Because she's a pharmacist, and I was like, so without her telling me not to do it, she was trying to put things in place to scare me for not to keep doing it. So quickly, like within two weeks, I was like, right, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I don't want my my teeth to fall out and all that. Uh, <laughs> so that 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 petrified me, which was a good tactic. And then from there, <clears throat> you know, just sticking on healthy diet and making sure that I control my portion sizes because I eat quite a lot and from there you know my my youth was the the the, the, it was a pain of getting bullied that I didn't want it anymore that I took action to then fix my diet and fix my health it was action wasn't you know Reading, reading lots of books and, you know, educating myself and everything. It was actually just going out and doing stuff. And now, I'd, like, there was a lot of stuff that I'd done that was detrimental to my health. Um, you know, like, as a, as a kid, I would, I went, before I went to bed at night, I would do 400 crunches and, like, 100 push-ups, but I did them all in sets. You know, I'd set a 50 with the, the the crunches and then sets of 10 with the push-ups. And I just did that every single night before I went to bed because I wanted to wake up and have a six-pack like back in the day, like Peter Andre, when I saw that Mysterious Girl video. I was like, oh, my God, I want those abs. So 300, 400 crunches every single night, push-ups every single night. And you, as a trainer, you go, no, you can't, you can't just keep doing, you know, 100 squats every day with the same weight and feel that you're gonna get a physiological stimulus. But back in the day, like I'm just, I'm just doing things and sometimes we're getting results and sometimes they weren't. And it was, where, where, did, where did the motive, ultimately the question would be, where did this obsession come from? Was one, never wanting to get bullied again. Two, my, I had a conversation with my dad and he asked me, uh, I asked him, do you think I'm fat? And he he said, do you want the dad answer? Do you want the real answer? And I said to him, the real answer? And he was like, yes, son, like, you know, when I watch you play football and, you know, you can't keep up with other kids, and I'm standing at the sidelines, it's, you know, sometimes it can be, it can be quite embarrassing. And from there, you know, my dad being embarrassed of me, like, watching me at the sideline, thinking, like, the other dads are watching their kids that I'm getting laughed at. And... You know, my dad's embarrassed standing there watching me play football. It was that was probably one of the, the biggest turning moments as a kid, where my dad is telling me, "You know some I'm a wee bit embarrassed of you know watching you play sport." And from there, just it it, it just kept taking off. You know, I just kept, I I just wanted to keep running, keep training. Um, sometimes to the detriment of my performance at times still, um, but I think that's still feeding the insecurity of I don't think I'm talented, because I used to be obese as a kid. I just, I got everywhere and anywhere because I just grind and graft my face off. How big were you? Um, so that one thing, I, I, I don't know, I never ever weighed myself, but, well actually, I tell a lie. I, I think I've got OCD. I think I'm quite, I think I'm quite obsessed over certain things. So, what I do, is it my grand's My grand's house, she had skills. And I'd weigh myself. So listen to this, I would weigh myself after food when I was obsessed with my weight. I would weigh myself, then I'd eat a bowl of homemade soup, you know, lovely granny's homemade soup. And then I'd go back and weigh myself to see how much I weighed afterwards. So I went through I did go through a really weird obsessive part. You know, I don't do that anymore. I there's no like we don't have skills in the house. I don't know how much I weigh from, you know from month to month now, but there was a wee, a wee period where I did, you know, I was, it was, you know, if I'm starving myself and being, bleak, like that was an unhealthy obsession. Um, I think it was around, so about 10 years old, 11 years old. I was about just under 13 stone and I was about five foot six. I am now six foot three and I am 11
0: and a half stone. Yeah, that's, Size for, yeah, size for a 10-year-old, yeah. So at about 12,
1: about, th- about 13 years old, I was, uh, my waist was a 34 waist. So, and my dad was about a 28-inch waist. So I'd get like a 34-inch waist with, a, I think it was like a 30 leg. And then now I get a 30-inch waist with a 34 leg, just completely... <laughs> completely Are both your parents um, slim? um my dad my dad is my dad has always been slim, and there was one thing that I used to hate about him he used to he and still does so he used to eat like so back in the day we would call this breakfast a really unhealthy breakfast, so what we he'd have in the, um still now would be two fried eggs, two bits of bacon, and on just one slice of bread, and then at night. And he would have like maybe one sandwich with some meat and meat, cold meats or something like that in it. In the, the afternoon, and then he'd come home, and then he would have you know something like uh, steak, and with a fried egg on top, with you know some. I think the unhealthiest thing he'd have oven chips, and what all like this sort of. Where I would be thinking, oh, you're supposed to have bowls of cereal in the morning to be healthy and you're supposed to have bowls of pasta at night to be healthy you know so dad you're not eating healthy but actually now he's having like the high protein high fat moderate carbohydrate diet yeah. that we all thought was unhealthy for you and but and he, that kept him in really good shape and he worked for Pickford's as well so he was a, a removals guy so he's always like picking up the couches and the beds and up and downstairs. so he's really active and my mum I mean She's not. She's not overweight, but she's just a. She's just a normal lady. Like you know, she's not unfit. She's not fit. Um she likes a glass of wine. You know, at night time, yeah, she likes yeah. a wee Coca Cola and Bacardi at the weekend. Um, and she likes her food. Um, so she's not. She. I wouldn't say she's particularly overweight, but not not skinny. You know, yeah. just normal. Yeah. Um, and there was one thing. As, as I've been like in the elite sort of uh, competition just now. I've had like, my blood done and things like my my red blood cell count, my ferritin, my iron, but I've also had my thyroid done. You know, a lot of overweight people, you know, will blame either, you know, oh, I've got an underactive thyroid. Um, and I'll, uh, sometimes I'll ask, oh, you know, I did, was it in your blood test? And they go, oh no, I've never had it done. <laughs> How do you know you've got an underactive thyroid? So, but what what my point is here is that my thyroid is actually quite active, like really active. So I don't I don't know if exercise changed that because I didn't I didn't get it done when I was a kid. So this is just this is complete, you know, just sort of trying to put two and two together, or because my dad is really slim, that I had his metabolism and his thyroid um, sort of function. And even with a really elevated thyroid function, I still ate myself to be obese as a kid. So even with the best thyroid function, you just can't outwork a really shitty bad diet. That's what I'm trying to get at there. Was yeah, even yeah. with the highest thyroid function, you can still get fat. It doesn't matter, like whether it's it's fast or slow, you get a bad diet, you're you're gonna get stung eventually.
0: Yeah, no, very much so. There's a few things in there that really made me um, really made me laugh because it's actually so funny. I never realised how similar me and you are. I genuinely went through a phase of about a year and a half where I was um, bulimic because of making weight for... But I didn't I didn't think I was bulimic. It was really, really bizarre. So when I'd be... Obviously, I'd put so much pressure on myself to make weight for, for boxing. Um, and I'd, I'd eat something and I'd be like, oh, no, that was quite a... So I'd have, like, steak and chips. of like, oh, I don't know that probably shouldn't have had that much, that many chips or something. And I kind of made myself throw up. In my head, I was just negating and I was like, that's normal. And then I just remember kind of I told someone about it and they were like, that's, that's, that's not right, mate. And I was like, there's is only when someone tells you. And I was like, shit, that's actually, yeah. And then, and then I, so I looked into it and I was like, oh, there's actually a, a proper um disorder for that. It's mad. But, and, and again, it's the same, like, I remember when I was a kid, I'd be sitting there, like, doing loads of crunches, I'd be like 12, I was like, I'm going to get massive abs, I'd watch a Rocky montage, I'd go out for like, I'd gun it, I'd try and go for like a 10 mile run, I'd get like 400, 400 metres down the street and I'm dead. <laughs> it's just with me so much. So, um, how old were you when you throw a bulimic patch? Was that when you were still young? About about
1: fourteen, fifteen years old. About fourteen, fifteen, it was. Um, yeah. Just sort of aware, aware of what I was doing, but not aware of what how I was harming myself. I guess. Yeah. So, what's your relationship with food like now? Uh, still unhealthy. Yeah. Uh, in terms, I mean, still unhealthy in terms of. I. I've not had a McDonald's, a Burger King, a KFC, a Pizza Hut, a kebab, chippies, chip shop stuff, any of that since I was fifteen years old. I've not had any fizzy juice, Coca Cola, Sprite, Fanta, um, Iron Brew since I was fifteen years old,
2: chocolate, haribo,
1: uh I like Sweet ice lollies and all these sort of things. None of it since I was fifteen years old. Um, I try and keep my diet as sort of clean and as natural as I physically possibly can, and um, in, in the sort of within the control of the environment. So um, you know there'll be there'll be times where you know like I still I still have pizza, but I'll make sure that it's from either I've homemade the pizza, so I know the quality of the ingredients. Or if we go to like a like a, a lovely restaurant and they're you know they're doing the pizzas in the stove and mm-hmm. things like the big the big um, flamed oven so basically i I'm, I'm probably I'm justifying those unhealthy healthier options to be better for my body basically um and then instead of having like sort of oven chips or you know McDonald's chips or fries or whatever i I like to you know cut up a sweet potato or cut up potatoes. Um, Roll them round in uh, some olive oil or rapeseed oil, whatever it would be, and then stick them in the oven and have you know chunky potato wedges. So having the again the healthier option to those foods, um, you know like cakes and donuts and things like that. I don't have like at birthdays I don't have cake. Um, my my wife will buy me like a fruit salad, I, you know, sort of thing or whatever, something silly. They'll they have a, like they'll have a cake for the family and then I'll get maybe like a nice. You know, she'll maybe go to like Marks and Spencer's and get me like a nice chopped fruit bowl or, or fruit salad or something like that. So, I mean, in terms of how an, an, maybe an, a normal everyday life person looks into my diet, will think I'm maybe a bit bonkers. But I think in the elite world, I think that it's pretty normal to be
0: that sort of, you know. No, I'll take. Yeah, you know, you're not like a negative sense, but almost yeah. you really have to almost be very much like that because I mean, I think it's very true. Like, the difference in just the way you feel when you're living off a very natural, unprocessed diet makes you feel so much better. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. Yeah, so it's in- like genuinely so interesting, but going back to what you said earlier about um, you sort of use food um, as comfort. So I'm guessing obviously as, as a PT, you've got quite a lot of clients that will come to you that have those sort of similar issues with um, food and comfort eating. What um, advice do you give? Uh, well, how, how do you talk to them about their relationships with food and what do you advise they do instead of eating when they get that need for comfort? Yeah, so that, for
1: every client, it could come across a little bit different, maybe a little bit harder, or a little bit more empathetic, just depending on who I'm, 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 I'm chatting with. The, the way I really like explaining food is the way a gentleman called Tony Robbins, motivational speaker, talks about the pain and pleasure scale. And back in the day I would say to them, and they go, what's pain and pleasure? And ultimately, b- before I go on to the, the food topic is pain and pleasure is where you find something's a bit more pleasurable than painful, i.e. if somebody's smoking and they know and it's on the box that this thing is going to either give you, you know, mouth cancer, throat cancer, lung cancer degenerate your health. So there's pains there, but you feel that smoking that cigarette is more pleasurable than it is painful. So you keep doing it until the point where you go to your doctor and they say, I'm really sorry, but you've got throat cancer or mouth cancer. The pain and pleasure scale now flips. It becomes more painful to smoke a cigarette than it does pleasurable. So a lot of people quit through a traumatic event to flip the pain pleasure scale and nobody will change their life, change their training, change their nutrition unless their pain and pleasure scale flips. And that comes from sport as well, the talented bunch that win competitions and win races by training easy until they get their ass handed to them. Eventually, skiving off training becomes more painful. And it did pleasurable. So when I, when I talk about nutrition, I, I say I say to I say to everybody, you know, we all know, we all know what's good and bad. We all know what's unhealthy and healthy. It's just about getting that balance. So I, I say to everybody, even though I, I don't personally have a cheat day, you know, for some people mentally they need to have, you know, one day a week where they can eat the foods that they have been craving, you know, for you know a couple of days that'll be itching away at them, getting their demons sort of loud and angry. I say to them, right? You can have a cheat day, right? We can all we can all have a cheat day. We can all, as long as it's consistent. It's once a week, and you're, but six days of your week are very very good. You know, you might have a couple of days where you wobble, you're doing things that you're maybe eating things that you know aren't so good, but you're not you know going hell for leather on you know really bad high high fat high processed fats high high processed sugar foods. Um, I I talked to them about the pain and pleasure scale in terms of when they have you know a Chinese or an Indian or a Pizza Hut or a, a McDonald's and I'll say you know at that time even you you, you, know, you know in the back it subconsciously we know that these foods aren't the best for us but we eat them because they're more pleasurable than they are painful and the reason I say about food is that it becomes the only time it does become painful is Either you go to the doctors and they say you've got you know, diabetes or you've got high blood pressure or you've got antherosclerosis of the artery or you wake up one day and you look in the mirror and you go, holy shit, what happened to me? Or you look at a photo from Facebook five years ago and you go, what the fuck is, what is going on? But because the pain pleasure skill, the pain has just been building every so often, but you thought that it was more pleasurable to eat that certain thing, that McDonald's, that Burger King, that KFC because you thought, oh, that'll never happen to me. And then eventually, it does. You know, Eventually, you look in the mirror, or you look in the scales, you finally weigh yourself after two or three years, and you go, oh my god, I've put on 15 kilos, where's that come from? It came from all those little pleasures that you thought were more pleasurable to eat, and more painful to avoid, that now it might flip, and become more painful to eat, and actually more pleasurable, to avoid because you're wanting to actually now get your fitness, your health, your physique into good shape so you know that it's actually going to be more painful to eat the burger or the, the curry or the pizza than it is pleasurable now. It's going to be actually more pleasurable to get the physique that you want instead of the other way before it was actually fuck the gym, you know, that's painful. This McDonald's is pretty pleasurable right now so I'm going to take the pleasure over the pain but eventually when you keep doing that that's when things start to go wrong. So, so again, I, I think for um, advice for people who are using food as comfort in a way of, you know, making themselves feel good for a while, ultimately that is a, a short term gain for a long term loss. And you need to be, I think this, in, in this day and age, we have no patience, we have very little discipline, and what that does is then we lack consistency. And what I mean by we have hardly, hardly any patience is because at the click of a button, at the click of a finger, you can now buy stuff and have things at your door within a day, within a couple of minutes now. Or on Netflix, Amazon, you can watch what you want, when you want, for how long you want. You don't need to wait anymore for anything. Spotify, or you don't, you don't like what's on the radio, I'll just make up my own playlist, what I like to hear and what I want to hear. And I'll listen to it for as long as I want, for as much as I want. Amazon Prime, one day delivery, get it the next day. Brilliant. We are getting to a point where we're really you know, it is is something something is oh my OMG, the Wi-Fi's taking so fucking long right now. It's like we are in this era where like everything has to be instant. And with health and fitness, it's a long game and it's a patient game and it's a consistency in the discipline. And so that's, I feel that it's actually life, the way life has evolved and technology has de evolved us as human beings, like physiologically. Um, That life has got a lot to answer for us succumbing to, you know, not being patient not having the discipline, um, you know, the six pack abs and six minutes bullshit and all these fad diets. It's, you know, everybody wants stuff fast, but that's instant success. What you want with health and fitness is lasting success and that's a long game. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, try and, I try and let people know that, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's going to be times where you're going to be a little bit uncomfortable where you are going to be a bit hungry, but that's, and then, when people go, oh, why? And I'll go, well, because you've not been hungry for such a long time. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a seesaw. If you, for as long as you have not been hungry, now you need to try and level that seesaw out. And sometimes you're going to need to feel now uncomfortable with being a little bit, you know, a little bit hungry. And I'll say, if when you're going through a weight loss regime, you are going to be in a calorie deficit, It not going to be that comfortable. But anything that you want, worth having in this life. Is not comfortable. It has to be a little bit, if not a lot, of discomfort. It's the same as Arnold Schwarzenegger waking up, waking up from doing 150 squats with you know 200 kilograms in his back, waking up the next day and going, "Oh, why, why are my legs so sore?" It's like no shit, Sherlock. Like that's called entitlement. If you feel that you can do things, or say things, or want to do things. And they have no consequences, either good or bad. You have to, when you make a decision, you have to make sure that you accept the consequences that are going to come your way. The same way you go into a fight we and I go into a competition, we have got to accept, we can't just go in the. you can't go into the ring and I can't just go into the start line going, well, I'm only going to race or I'm only going to fight if I win when that bell goes or when that gun goes you need to accept the consequences good and bad you can't just walk out there and go oh, that's i'm giving up now because i lost and i'm in there and i was i was you know expected to. it's like we need we, we need to sort of really get our brains to think a bit more logically instead of emotionally when it comes to making you know decisions and i think that when clients come to you and they really want it, they really fucking want it. Like they're now secular bodies. Man, I love working with them because those people are gonna absolutely bust their ass day in and day out. Like I had a couple of clients, actually a couple of clients that surprised me where I was thinking, they're they're talking a good game but uh, uh, you know, I don't I don't think they're gonna I don't think they're gonna follow through with this. And before I knew it, I saw I saw the client in Almost every day, I had to actually actually tell the client, like you need to take you need to take a couple of days off, like work hard Monday to Friday, go and spend time with the, the, the kids and the family, and Saturday and Sunday, the you know the gym is doesn't have to always be your life. When when people are fired up and they are motivated, like it is amazing to watch and it's amazing to see the transformation they make. And another fundamental, as I say, is if you eat like shit and you train like shit, you'll look like shit if you eat good and train good, you'll look good. If you eat like a beast and train like a beast, you'll look like a beast. Fundamentally, I'll I'll, I'll say it like that. And I think that I I say to people, I I make sure that people understand how hard it's going to be. It's going to be a very big change in mentality. You know, it's going to take a lot of mental toughness, a lot of mental strength. And also I ask that they they tell their spouse to be on board with them. Don't sort of just rub it off, like, shrug it, don't let your spouse just shrug it off and go, I, ay, aye, aye, like, this is another, this is another, oh, he or she's going through another, you know, want to lose weight again, oh, how many times am I going to hear that? I'm going to I say to them, look, your, your spouse, your partner needs to be on board, because there's nothing worse than you wanting to eat healthily, eat whole, wholesome, good foods, and then your spouse just wants to, you know, pick up the phone and go and just eat, or whatever, and... That's really, I feel that's really hard for families. So I try and say, try and make your spouse be on board with you because that's a huge thing because it's a, you know, success breeds success, negativity and positivity are just as infectious as a cold. You know, if you're around a negative person, they bring you down. If you're with a positive person, they bring you up. When you're with that person that doesn't want to be on board with you, it's very easy for them to sort of knock you off your um, your focus so there's there's a lot there's a lot of aspects that I I try and get them to understand before they they embark on it because at the end of the day if if they're not definitely in it then they are only causing themselves uh it's it's just going to be a painful upsetting experience if they you know they they question people question their self-worth if they can't keep on something but it's not their fault sometimes it can be like i said the way Life has now evolved into this lack of patience um, sort of approach. And it's just trying to get them to understand the fundamentals that you are going to fail a few times. You are going to um, eat something that's bad a few times, but don't allow that to derail everything. It's just a blip. You know, we're looking at the long game. We're looking at the weeks and the months, not the days. A few days where you wobble, but you need to get back on it as quick as possible. So that's what I'd say to clients that are looking to change their diet. And change their
0: life I think there's so many valuable points there but I guess probably the one key theme coming through all of that is consistency and it's true because you've got to have no matter what I guess you probably had it in the lead up to I guess me and you might be a bit different though in obviously the lead up to a fight and the lead up to a race because you know you're coming against some like, other athletes who want it and you know that those little slip-ups can be the difference between winning and losing. Mm-hmm. And then you know the feeling that you get when you're walking up to that start line, or when you're walking down to the ring. You know you've trained, you, you like so hard. You've not missed. You've not cut any corners. That feeling, that that confidence that builds inside you is just it's just a different level, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, going back to that, consistency is key. Because this is one thing, I um, I had this conversation with one of my clients of the other day, and this is one of the real negative um, elements of social media um, that I find, and you probably have to deal with all the time, is this kind of black and white dichotomous thinking of this is good, this is bad. So when someone eats maybe a pack of crisps and they think, oh, that's bad, my diet's off, fuck it, and... That's it. That leads to them just eating like shit for the next month, and they're like, "Oh no, I've got to pull it back." And I was having this conversation with um a new client I just brought on, actually, because that was her way of thinking. She goes, "I just yo-yo diet all the time," and I'm sort of delving into like the mindset side. And essentially, what I said to her is like, it's, it's like imagine you drop your phone and you get that little like crack in the top screen, like the top top corner of the screen. You're like, ah, oh, it's not affects the phone or anything. Like you can still use it fine. It's like that's like you eating that pack of crisps. If you then just throw the whole diet off, all you're doing is you're taking your phone, you're just smashing it to pieces because you've got that little crack. Like yep. and again, so I guess it all keeps keeps all rattling back to what you're saying at the start of this, which is perspective. People just need to put things into perspective and, and that's it, you're gonna slip up. But just keep going from there. Yeah. So with regards to this whole sort of like sticking to the relationship of with um with food and that, what sort of um Advice and how do you how do you deal with nutrition um, with your clients? Are so you um, sort of like a calorie macro guide? Do you kind of give them food plans, food logs? How do you structure nutrition um, with your clients? So what I would do is I would get their
1: you know their, their basal metabolic rate. I would you know get them on the scales, take their measurements, um, calculate if they are you know probably. Calculate how much calories they'd be expending in their training sessions that they're going to come into the, you know, sort of anticipate if they're going to come in three times a week thinking that they're moderately active. So then it gives your calorie count for that. And then from there, what I'd do is, so say somebody somebody, um, base rate had to um, eat 3,000 calories in a day to maintain normal, optimal weight. What I would do is because for every pound of fat, Is three and a half thousand calories. I would then decrease their calorie intake by 500 calories. So over a week, they are now hopefully, you know, as math, mathematically put, they would lose a pound of fat each week. But again, like because human beings, we all respond differently to nutrition programs and also like certain foods. You know, some people might lose, you know, a pound and a half, some people might lose less than a pound, some people might lose two pounds a week. Just depending on uh, the person, and then what they are doing out with. They also the one-to-one training sessions because some people might look to do, you know, cardio sessions out with my training sessions, my weight sessions, or they might actually want to do the body parts that we never hit. So then they're moving into the, the the weight training. So some people might sort of um, fluctuate between that sort of one pound per week what we're ideally looking for. And then from there, what I do is I'll. You know, I say to them that you can use my fitness pal as a way of, you know, tracking everything by scanning the barcodes. I said it's quite hard if you are um, eating whole foods to a certain degree. If you know you're, you get the pepper and the onion and these sort of things. Sometimes you can't quite track them. But what you could do is, when I I put weights on there as well. So what I'll do is once I get the the two and a half thousand calorie plan, five hundred calorie deficit. What I do is then I start actually. I, I get what the foods they dislike, so I want to make sure the diet plan is, you know, palatable for their, you know, their taste buds, because they're, nobody's going to stick to anything they don't they don't like the taste of. Um, so even if it's say, even when I say like, if you're going to have like a chicken salad or you're going to have a tuna salad or a ham salad, what sort of dressing do you like? What sort of dressing like makes your taste buds go, oh, that's lovely, because that'll keep you coming back to that even though people think dressings are bad, but ultimately if, it's, if it's a, it can be a little, if that little bit of, you know, um, flavor that may have a little bit of calories in it, but allows you to eat all these fruits and veggies in the plate, bingo. As long as you, if you can stick to that, I'm, I'm a happy man. From there, I then calculate what the sort of around about, I, I'll, I'll say, right, you need about two, two grams per kilogram of protein. Uh, you know, you're, your depending on how much cardio or how little cardio you're doing, that will affect your carbohydrate content and then also your fat content. So from there, I'll start to plan a meal plan of, so say, you know, we'll get 10 10, 10 grams of chicken is going to be 40 calories because for every one gram of protein is four calories with it. So then I start building a plan from there. And then what I do is, I do the their, their Monday uh, breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, and then at the end of it, I'll put the the P F P C F, and then like what the tallies were, and then also the calories that came from that as well, because I'll keep calculating. It's it's a it's a long process to make a scientific, well methodically planned out nutrition plan for a a client instead of just pulling something out. out out of bodybuilding.com or whatever and just going, oh here you go by the way, this is this will suit you. Whereas you know it's 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 a it is a it's a nice sweet science where you're trying to let the, get the numbers to all match each other and allow that client to still sort of feel full during a calorie deficit, still feel that they like what they're eating and also make it not too expensive as well. So what I do is say um I, I said maybe chicken stir right? fry and the, the, the vegetables, or the bean sprouts, the noodles, and the peppers and the onion. What I'd do with that dinner on the Monday is I'd say, and I bought a wee asterisk saying, make enough for tomorrow's lunch. So then they can then use that and put that in their lunchbox box, have that maybe with a, a tortilla wrap, say, um, so that then they can, they can so the, the, the diet plan doesn't become too expensive where they're buying all these different foods, and some of it might be getting out of date, because you're like, oh, sugar, well, there's a chicken breast in there, but you know I've not got any more chicken on the, the plan for this week. So it can be, sometimes become a bit expensive, so you try and think about how you can make sure that, right, they're probably going to buy that pack of chicken, they're going to buy a, a probably about a kilogram or a 500 gram bag of rice, and you're trying to make sure that you can use it all in a cost-effective way, to make sure that everything's been finished by the end of the week or that most of it's been finished by the end of the week. But yeah, numbers, making sure the um, making sure their, their macros are hit and then also from those macros, making sure that you, know, that you get for every one gram of fat, it'll be nine calories. From every one gram of carbohydrate, it'll be four calories. And from every one gram of protein, it'll be four calories. And then calculating that through your 2,500 calorie day.
0: Yeah, awesome. So when a client first comes to you, I'm going to go two, two bits on this because we'll segue into the next part. But when it comes to you with with regards to kind of like mindset, like what what would you do for a client that comes to you that's quite unmotivated? It's a bit like say that, that that pain scale is pushing up, but they're still quite unmotivated. You know, you get, you get people that are kind of just struggling through and they need real help. They need to get fired up. And I think a lot of people are actually suffering with that now with regards to what's going on in COVID because everyone's, you, can't obviously, you couldn't leave your house at once a day and people are just getting a bit fed up. So would you give, yeah, what sort of your David Goggins mindset tips would you give for those people?
1: I'd shake them. I'd physically shake them. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would, so if, if, people, if people are feeling a bit demotivated just now and clients are feeling a bit demotivated as well because, you know, some, we go through these waves. We go through these waves of high motivation and low motivation. One, I would say it's completely normal. It's completely fucking normal to go through a wave of demotivation and a wave of motivation. What has to be at the backbone of whether you're, you're peaking or trough in motivation is discipline to do things that you need to get done even though, even when you don't feel like it. And I think that because what I'll do is I'll relate some stories to myself or I'll relate some stories to other clients who – when they weren't motivated, but they still done the things they had to do and then get them into the, the frame of mind if. So what if you didn't do that training session today? How would you feel? What What if you kept, you know, your, your motivation was low for maybe about a week to two weeks and you didn't get to the physique or the weight or the, the dress size or the waist size or the chest size, and a male if they're looking to bulk, um How would you feel if you didn't attain that goal? Yeah, I feel a bit. I feel, I feel a bit shit actually. I say yeah because you're you're paying a lot of money for my time and my knowledge. You're investing a lot in yourself, and you want a return on your investment. And I said, so do I. I want a return on my investment because the time I'm putting into you, I want to make you. I want to make you look good because you're my walking billboard. um So then I'd go now. we've, we've thought about how it feels, how bad it feels. I said. You know how epic how epic would it feel that you know in three weeks' time you get into that that size ten or that size eight dress how how amazing would that feel and I, I'm trying to get them to feel these emotions because just now the the emotions that they're feeling are not so good they're very they're, they're limiting you know their, their their actions are actually paralyzing them and then I, then I'll relate back to me I'll say look i said you' you're looking at me, you know you think I am." you look at me and think I am the, the billboard of, you know, health and wellness and fitness. I said, but there's days where I wake up, I wake up, the alarm goes off in the morning and I sometimes don't want to go out and do a 20 mile run because my legs are killing me. And now I'm thinking about, I'm not thinking about, usually when I'm in a good state of uh, like mental, mental wellness and I'm, I'm very focused and I'm on it, I'll wake up and I'll take each mile as it comes, I won't actually look at the full thing and get overwhelmed. I'll be like, right, you know, you just got to go out there. You've just got to, get mile after mile, and I'll, I'll say to myself, and you also know that you'll start to feel better after a couple of miles into, the, into the, the the session. Your body warms up. Your endorphins start going. You know that you're going to start to actually feel good. You know, the first five, ten minutes, feel you feel a bit sluggish, and you're, you're like, oh, God. I'm... But after 15 minutes, you're in flow. But I think it's very hard for people to keep telling themselves that you know after 10 they only they only want to feel how they're feeling at that moment in time they don't they don't actually take themselves to the other side and go how you feel after you've done the session you've completed it and then you can enjoy the rest of your day to relax and enjoy and to feel self-fulfilled that you've done something even though you weren't in the proper frame of mind to do it so i'm trying to get them to push the feelings of demotivation away. Like because I say feelings are like a conveyor belt. If you put a conveyor belt across us, we've got happiness, it comes in, and it's like a fart in the wind and it goes out. Sadness comes in and it comes out. Anger comes in and eventually it leaves. Motivation, it comes in and it comes. These we go through so many feelings of emotions every day that it's just they come in and then they leave us, and something else will take its place. If we can, basically, what I'm trying to do is manipulate a thought process to get them to feel the good, like achieve self-fulfillment. Get get trying sort of basically in a car, starting back up that engine, just revving it up and trying to get the motivation back on. And then they, they get motivated. And I guess that to if we look at the sort of David Goggins thing where he talks about, you know, the Making a little spark, making a little fire as a motivation, and then putting those trees on that fire to create to make it everlasting, and to get that you know that huge furnace. At the start, it's going to be tough because you know the fire's quite small, and what we need to do is you know we need to put a lot of effort into making sure they can they can put the the little twigs and bits of wood on themselves to keep that fire growing and keep that motivation growing. During this time, it's you know. Because the face-to-face contact's away, um, that that can be quite hard for somebody that likes that one-to-one sort of contact. But you know, being there for them, you know, WhatsApping them, giving them a call, doing a Zoom call like we we're doing just now, talking to them, getting them to understand why they're feeling a certain way, and more often than not, it's they they they're just you know, they're just going through a little lull, and you know, it's easily you can break them out of it. You can make them feel good about themselves and make them make them feel worthy that what they are doing is meaningful and worth something at the end to push them out the door to go and do something or get them to do their, their um, training plan.
0: Yes. Um, it's like what you were saying earlier, actually, it's about that comfort zone and, a really good um a really good quote that I, I love is um the Oscar Wild quote, which is like the comfort zone's a great place but nothing grows there. Mm-hmm. It's only when you actually step outside that comfort zone. Like I say, when you do that training session when you just cannot be asked that you genuinely level up. And again, there's that other little uh quote which is the only workout that you regret is the one you didn't do. Mm-hmm. And yep. and that's something I try to say to all my clients is even if you don't feel up to it, just Get your shoes on, get outside, even if you just go for a walk, like just go for a walk, don't have to go for a run, or just get to the gym. Even if you don't actually train, at least you can say you try. Like, you get to the gym, maybe do a little warm up, and if you're really not feeling it, I'm like, then, then by all means go home. But a lot of it is just that initial, it's that, that initial, um, so people have like, not people, but like us as well. I, I have it sometimes, it's like, not an anxiety to train, I think that's over I try, I can't think of the word, but you just can't really be arsed. And it's always you overthink it, don't you? And then as soon as you get going, you're just like, oh, it's fine. It's just that initial period. It is very I remember I remember one time I um I just felt tired. I got to the boxing gym and I, I was like, All right, I'll go in, I won't take any of my in my sparring kitten, I won't spar. Went in there and one of the boys was like, Do you want to spar? And I was like, well, because obviously he almost like called me out to like, because he asked me, I was like, yeah, go on then. Go on, and do you know what, it's the best sparring session I've ever had. And I can't tell you, I was sitting in my house and I was like, oh, what I do was not going to go. And I, I walked away from that. like, And it was the, one of the best sessions that I ever actually had. And yeah, so honestly, just get shoes out and get out. That's the biggest thing I can say to anyone. But... Yeah. Going round, let's go into uh, social media and with everything that we're seeing at the minute, um, what are your thoughts on a lot of this these Instagram um, quick wins that you can get because like you're saying with regards to this kind of nature of modernism and everyone's impatient, I think unfortunately people are preying on on that impatience. So uh, yeah what, what are your thoughts on on a lot of those uh, sort of things that are getting spouted around at the minute? Um,
1: I need to. I guess I need to take a wee second just to, so I don't just rant uh, (laughs) mindlessly. I I feel that these fitness or now people that have become personal trainers without a PT qualification or a college qualification or a university qualification that's now picked up or bought a kettlebell from amazon and now doing 20 kettlebell swings and 20 burpees and 20 backflips and now telling you to do that workout three times and it'll help you burn you know 600 calories and then dm me below for my my training plan and i just it, it's infuri- it's infuriating me because these, you know, or else it might be, you know, I, I was on the keto diet for four weeks and I lost 20 pounds with a big smile on his face, but he's pumped up in roids. And it's like, how do we cipher the bullshit that's on these platforms? Because it's very hard to regulate it because if you've got money and you want to pay for an ad to be on Instagram or Facebook, you can pay for an ad to be on Instagram or Facebook. And there's even now people trying to prey on us you know, all these fitness, so-called, you know, fitness entrepreneur that are going to get us, you know, funnels and clickbait and all this shite that's going to help us grow our business to $10,000 a month. And then you click on the profile and they have got a hundred followers. I'm going, if you can't grow your own fucking platform, how are you going to grow mine?
2: Like what the, like, that's like, that's like
1: fucking, I don't know, like, some guy who has got a boxer size qualification now from you know PT certified and says right I'm going to get you ready for Queensbury championships. You're like, shut the fuck up, mate. Like you're you're not gonna, like you, it's, it's that like
2: you,
1: you're you're not on the same level. So even with the now the PTs like trying to pull on people's emotional heartstrings just now because people are desperate because we're in a we're in a desperate time. And they're they're really taking advantage of people's psychology. They are taking advantage of you know the desperation, the the negative sort of self esteem that some people have about themselves that have maybe tried and tested some training programs or some you know fad diets that they saw in a magazine or they saw Cheryl Cole do or Kim Kardashian or who knows. And they're going oh, well if I give this. I mean, this guy, he's just up out of his head or, you know, he, he starved himself just for that advert. I know people, I know PTs for a photo shoot and for Instagram ads and things that they're going to, a video shoot that they're going to do to get their advert out. They train up for the advert and that's it. They look good just for the advert and then afterwards they look like shit. And I, I say you need to go with people that practice what they preach. The real solid people that do the, the fitness, the health, the nutrition day in and day out that live and breathe this shit are the people that you want to go to because they're the ones that are going to give you advice when you don't feel like it, when when, when you're not feeling at your best because they have been there. But like you said yourself, you didn't want to go in for that sparring session and you but you went in there and you done it anyway, even though you don't feel like it. And sometimes that, that's just life. Like life, we need to sometimes do stuff to get to where we want to go, even when we don't feel like it. The same when we were doing our PT qualifications or our university qualifications. We don't want to sit three-hour exams. I don't want to sit four-hour exams. I don't want to do a dissertation, but you need to do it to get to where you want to go. So I really feel that these... People that are saying, you know, this four-week nutrition plan or this four-week high-intensity fat burn plan is going to, you know, change your life in four weeks. And I, I've got to, you know, let's talk about this. We'll get four weeks and we'll get the rest of your life. I'm just, if we logically look at this, you know, we are, the the, the rest of your life's a long time and four weeks are a little blip in the middle of it. That guy, that guy, that girl has got to be monumental. If he can change your life in four weeks, and you never you never see him again. Like bad habits take a long time to sort of deconstruct. And these these people out here that are, you know, saying that they're going to get you these results in, you know, three weeks, four weeks, and they show you them with, you know, a chiseled body, playing on the heartstrings of these these people on social media, because we are spending a lot more time in social media, be, people will be seeing these things, and then they'll see them over and over and over again. They'll go out a psychology of buying cycle, and then some of them are going to, they're going, to, they're going to buy into it. They're going to get this downloaded PDF with no support because it's just a one-size-fits-all program. It's not specialized like the same way you get if you're doing one-to-one stuff like ourselves. And all of a sudden, they've now, they've now spent £100 or $100 on a, in PayPal, for a PDF that they look at and they go, oh, what's this shit? Like I already know this stuff. I could have got this on YouTube for free and I could have got this on whatever. Because there's no, there may be the, the PDF is there, but the human being to deliver and get you fired up to do that program, to do these things and tell you why you're doing them is a different story and that connection that, that you believe in what you're doing and the trainer that's giving you the stuff. That's where I think relationships come in really, really well with one-to-one uh, coaching. And then if we, if we logically look at this as well, when we talk about consistency, you know, if you, after four weeks, what do you do then? You know, the guy's not there, you know, you've, you've, you've paid for this PDF that's a one-size-fits-all. You can't go back to him and give him a phone call through WhatsApp and go, oh, hey, mate, um, by the way, I finished that four-week plan. You know, what's next? you don't get any of that contact. So people, you know, we, they don't know what to do after that. Even so, don't know if they need to do nutrition with it or don't don't tell you if you're injured, if you have a knee replacement, if you have low back pain, you have a hip replacement. It's just a one size fits all. Um, and then if we look at the the consistent, if these things really worked, then we'd have Chris Froome, Mo Farah, Usain Bolt, Bradley Wiggins, you know, me, you, uh, We'd have all these elite athletes, top athletes, endorsing and buying into these programmes. And see when you don't see that, that should be a big red flag right away.
0: Yeah, I'm just so saying. True. Yeah, it's so true. And the unfortunate thing as well is a lot of these programmes that you see where you get these amazing results in ridiculous amounts of time, it's all just stupidly low-carb, low-calorie. So it just makes you drop all your water weight. Yeah, you do get those quick wins. But again, I think that's one of the biggest things that you're talking about is when you get to the end of that, then what? Because essentially, when you get to the end of that quote unquote diet, you're just going to end up reverting back to your old habits and your old behaviors that got you into a position that you're unhappy with, that you felt the need to go and buy that. So mm. that's, yeah, that's one of, the, one of the key things. It's not just about losing the weight, it's then also about putting systems in place as to. What to do once you've lost that and how to not get back again.
1: Yeah, and that is the hardest part. The hardest part is now you've got this great body or you've got this body you're happy with. You've now got something to lose. Mm. How do we not go back to the bad habits? And that's where you know that's where that specialisation comes in, where you have a relationship with a coach that keeps you keeps you having the body that you want, you desire or the, the fitness you desire or the nutrition goals that you desire. Um So yeah, like I, I, but again, it's, it's because people are desperate. They want a quick fix. They lack patience. And if they did have some perspective, they would, they would, they would do a bit of research into something. A lot of people don't re. This is another thing. A lot of people don't research things anymore. They take people's word for face value. You know, so, you know, you you can, you know, you walk down the street and you you could say to someone oh, I'm a personal trainer.
2: Oh, right, aye, oh, sweet,
1: aye. You know, it, it just, it doesn't, people don't go away and research these people that are giving nutrition advice. How credible are these people? Have they got a website? Have, you know, have they got a degree? Have they got PT qualifications? Have they got a nutrition qualification? You, you know, it, people are just clicking by, just believe what they see in front of their eyes.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Well, I'm just coming a bit uh, conscious of time now. So yeah. just starting to wrap up, what are your top three quotes? Top three, top three quotes? Top oh. three
2: quotes.
1: Right, I'm going to say one, one really good one is from Matt Fraser and it's, today I will do what others want, so I can do tomorrow while those count? That's John. That's 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 probably my favourite. Um, then there would be pain is weakness leaving the body. <laughs> and then Conor McGregor. He, he There's a quote he says, "I need to get it right so it doesn't go the wrong way." Um, winners focus on
2: winning. Losers focus on winners. They're focusing on me while I'm out making history.
0: Perspective. Again, all about perspective. Yeah. It's been like a very much a uh, consistent theme for this is perspective. There's just uh a... yeah. like so perspective, like so
1: there's there's this uh, there's this guy I follow, like I religiously follow, and I kinda I've based my Business beliefs and now refocus my own beliefs off. Um, because I went through a really bad time with my, my my running in America and I was for perspective was way out the window where I was, you know, in rage, had anger man- management issues because I wasn't performing well. My whole identity was wrapped up in me being an athlete. And if I didn't train well or I didn't compete well, then I was I was a worthless, you know, human being in my eyes. I was I lacked so much perspective. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, and he talks about you know, let, let let's let's think perspective. Like number one, like this this whole conversation about you know keeping perspective and what is, you know, what is really what what is life about? You know, and it's it's different to everybody, but fundamentally, I think that if you can keep perspective in terms of what really is important in life, then you won't, you won't big things up so much and you won't, make, you won't be so narcissistic to think that your problems are the only problems in the world or that when, you are, you know, when you're hungry for a couple of hours, well, there's people that are hungry for a couple of days or weeks. Perspective, like if we're asking you to just be a little bit hungry for a couple of hours a day, or an hour a day because you're wanting to lose weight. And, oh, it's so hard. And I'm going, in my head, I'm going, well, it's bloody hard for some people out there that are starving for days and weeks. <laughs> then we speak about how, you know, like, so I'll say, oh, my legs, my legs are killing me from a, a run. Or maybe, you know, finish, I finish, I don't even finish on the podium at a race. and, I'm kicking my my water bottle around and I'm saying, fuck this and fuck that. Like, that was shit. And it's like, right, well, there was maybe 20,000 other people in that race that would have died to be in your position. That's number one. So you need to be grateful for the fact that, you know, that. Second thing was, you're doing something that you love. You do it out of choice. Nobody's forcing you to do it. You do it out of love for the sport. Number three is that actually I am able to run. i am be able to put my feet in the ground and bless the concrete. Some people don't have that luxury. That is a, it's a luxury. It's not, you know, people, I think, you know, then we'll, we'll look at people who maybe have got an iPhone 6 or an iPhone, you know, 7 and they, you know, they're, they're crying their eyes out to their, their mum and dad or whatever because they want the brand new iPhone because that'll make them feel better about life and make them pop. And it's like, well, some people don't have phones, so that iPhone 6 is actually, you're doing better than 70 to 80% of this entire population because you've got a phone that works and that you can have like it's, I, I just feel people need to understand these things to then, when you put these things in perspective, you can understand that actually, you know what, these problems that I have, they, you know, they might be relative to me, they might be quite, quite high, but in terms of relative to the world, it's not that big. So don't panic, stop getting so worked up and so anxious about setting out to be be something or be somebody. In your world, in, in our world, it might be a big deal, but in the retrospect of the entire world, it's not big a big deal. So just crack on.
0: That's, uh, I think that's a great little point to finish on, you know. It's, it's just so true, so true. I, I've made our Facebook Live exactly on that point yesterday, because... I went out for a run. Um just having one of those, like, just a little bit of a down day, you know, just so everything's going on. And then, so I went out for a run. I got back and, and that's it. I was running around. I was like, oh, this is shit. Like, oh, COVID. I want to get out. I want to do this. I want to go and see my friends. Uh, it's just been a bit of, just moaning. Yeah, just moaning. I went out for a run. I was like, the sun was shining. I was like, that never happens in England. It was like, the birds were singing. I was like, it's a beautiful day. And I was like it could be worse I was like so fucking cheer up (laughs) Mm -hmm. stop moping around just get over it and crack on because yeah Yeah. there's people there's people that would die to be in this position so yeah yeah man but anyway so Sean thank you so much for coming on Um, where can people find out more about you where do you want me to um, send them to so you can
1: uh, catch me on Instagram at Fontana. Uh, I've got my Facebook page, Fontana Fit Personal Training. I've got my podcast, The Sean Fontana Podcast, on iTunes, Spotify and
0: CastBox.
1: And then I've got my website as well, www.fontanafit.co.uk.
0: Excellent. I'll link all those in the, um, in the show notes as well. Um, but, mate, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Kian. Yeah, good to catch up again. Cheers, buddy. Take care, mate. Put your hands
2: together! Fuck here!